this is Dr. Stu's podcast, the uh, COVID edition, um, non-fireside chat number seven. And you can find me at uh, birthinginstincts.com or info at birthinginstincts.com if you want to send me an email. And Bliss is going to be at Birthing Bliss Midwifery. And on Instagram, it's the same thing, at Birthing Bliss Midwifery, and I'm at Birthing Instincts. Uh, today we are coming live from Utah. Uh, I'm on vacation. Uh, Bliss is not with us today. Uh, she'll be back next week, I'm hoping, although I'll still be gone again next week. Um, I'm not sure how I deal with comments and stuff on this. This whole format is the opposite of what it used to be. So I'm just going to just ramble on and if somehow somebody can send me a message let me know that they are tuned in, then I will uh, know that it's actually working. Um, how's everybody? I'm great. I just have to tell you that uh, there's nothing like vacation, uh, especially when you are out of social media contact. I, I really have not been on social media for about 12, 13 days now, other than to set this talk up and I am uh, wearing my my Mount Zion t-shirt which uh, Zion National Park which was the first stop on my trip um, I'm currently up in Salt Lake City but uh, I love what this says here it says um, you can read it it says lose reception and then it says gain perspective and I think that that's all oh great so now I know at least some of you are here. All right, thank you. The format completely changed. So Facebook has done this before. I tried to share the link to today's chat with my own groups and it wouldn't let me do it. It wouldn't let me share it to my own Facebook page, my own non-medical Facebook page. So there's something going on with Facebook. If anybody has any ideas, that would be great. Um, Anyway, I'm, I'm here today to talk. Uh, I got a lot of topics on the line, but you could obviously send in your questions. Miranda's here. Maureen's here. Um, what I really want to talk about today is, is what my t-shirt says is lose reception, gain perspective. It's really nice. And the title of the podcast today is uh, the perfect is the enemy of the good. And there's so many things I want to talk about with that. But first of all, um, you don't realize how good we have it sometimes because we're always looking for something better and we end up missing um, the good days because we, they aren't the, the best days or the perfect days. And um, by the way, this is an interesting uh, comment because it was, it was said by a man named Voltaire, which I've heard of, you've probably heard of, but I bet none of us really know much about him. So being me, I looked him up a little bit and he was a philosopher during the uh, Age of Enlightenment in the, uh, I think, the 18th century in France. And he was, uh, he pushed for the efficacy of reason and he pushed for the importance of tolerance, which I found to be really sort of appropriate for what's going on in our world right now. Um, Confucius said something very similar to that. He said, better a diamond with a flaw than a pebble without. Um, I love hearing these sorts of quotes, whether they're from these brilliant old guys or whether they're from Aragorn in, or Gandalf in Lord of the Rings, whatever it is, um, sometimes these quotes just tend to stick with you. 
And the perfect is the is the enemy of the better is one that stuck with me for a long time. Because right now it's just relevant to me. I've been looking at houses up here. Some of you, many of you know that I'm I'm tending to want to uh, maybe leave the LA area, maybe not permanently, but at least have a home in another area, maybe living here at least 51% of the time um, for tax purposes, for lifestyle purposes, uh, for cost of living purposes. There's something about living in a state that doesn't have the same sort of problems and taxes and traffic and, and uh, cra craziness that uh, California, especially Southern California has. Um, so I've been looking at houses and I've, I found some really nice houses, but one is in an area where there's no cell phone reception. And that's a, that's probably a no, no. And one is a beautiful house next to a river. Uh, it's a little small, but it's perfect for me. But ne right next to it, the neighbor has built a barn the size of a field house, uh, which has a bright red side. It takes away the view of an entire whole view of a valley that would normally be there from the house. Cause this is an unincorporated part of an area called uh, Huntsville, Utah. And so that house has sort of been ruled out. Then there was another house that was, uh, the, the area was great and the, the lot was great, but the house was old and musty and really needed to be torn down. I'm not interested in doing that either. So I'm sitting here looking for the perfect house and eventually I'm probably going to miss out on getting something that's really a better house, but that's the way it works. And then you know, I was talking to a friend of mine, uh, a female friend of mine who's looking for a relationship and she's always finding the flaws in the guys that she meets. And she's waiting for Mr. Perfect. And she's in her mid-40s and she's unmarried and never has been married. And at some point, all of us have to realize that that we're not necessarily going to find uh, the prince. And it doesn't have to be the frog either, but something like that. And then, and then in birth, you know, everybody wants to, they put out their birth plan. They want their perfect birth. And if something doesn't go the, exactly that they want, We've got to learn to be able to let that go because we, we got the birth we needed, not necessarily the birth that we desired or the birth that we wanted. Um, these sorts of thoughts and things sometimes get muddled and, and disappear in the, um, in the hecticness of a day in Los Angeles for me. But boy, have I had time to think about things up here. Um, every day since I've gotten here, I've gone hiking. We even had two days where the temperature dropped into the 30s and 40s and we had thunderstorms and snow in the upper mountains. And even on those days, I went for local walks. But yesterday I did a hike, about a five mile hike up to about 9,500 feet. And uh, it was great. It was just, it was, it was great. It was hard work for me, my lungs, and I'm not that great shape. And then coming down, of course, I have a bad knee. So that was really tough on my knee. But I'm telling you that the amount of time you sit on a log and you look out over a clear mountain lake and you watch kids on the other side of the lake using a rope swing and swinging into water that's probably no more than 45 or 50 degrees and realizing that you used to do that too when you were a little kid and now you would now I wouldn't go near the water uh, at that temperature become a bit of a wuss myself um, but you get to think about other things and I had a really nice chat with a midwife yesterday from up in Logan Utah she's a certified nurse midwife and talked about the differences between certified professional midwives and certified nurse midwives. And, you know, she's working in a hospital system right now and likes it for the most part, but is not content in having to deal with things like many of my doula friends do, where they, they have to watch things being done to clients that they know are wrong and there's not much they can do about them. So she's uh, looking at other options and, you know, who knows, maybe that she'll end up down here uh, working in Salt Lake City with uh, 
with the eventual group that I would like to work with, um, the Wasatch Midwifery uh, Center and Birth Center. Uh, as you guys can look that up. My friend Adrian runs it. She's an uh, unbelievably excellent midwife. And and sometimes just things happen for serendipitous reasons. I, I she, this, this midwife just looked me up because she listens to the podcast and she made an effort to drive over a hundred miles because her GPS took her the wrong way the first time, which was pretty funny. And then she hiked to the top of the mountain wearing flip-flops, which I thought was even more hilarious, but she's in great physical shape. Her husband, I think they, they, they're triathlete competitors or some sort of uh, extreme sport competitors. And you can really tell, and she's got four children and you wouldn't, you would have no idea. Um, anyway, we had this long chat and maybe uh, something will come of that chat or I happened to be in town last week and, uh, I was needed to assist at something going on at the birth center that if I hadn't been in town, they might've had to transfer the patient to the hospital. And yet I was just happened to be here. So that was sort of cool. Um, these things just happen. If we look and, and you know, we have to find that there are miracles around us every day. They're very small. You don't recognize them in the city. You don't recognize them when you're hassled. You don't recognize them when there's t turmoil and tumultuousness and anger and, and traffic and people shouting at each other uh, every day and, and people being nervous and scared and fearful, you really miss out on a lot of life. Uh, I know I'm preaching today, but I just feel like it's important. It's one of those things that uh, we'll get to the, you know, we'll get to the meat of the birth stuff that we want to talk about today in a little bit. But I just thought it was really important that everybody top, stop, take a deep breath really feels good to be able to do that. And to look out at the scenery that I've posted, I posted a few of the pictures on the link to this today's podcast, but I want you to know that, um, uh, that I've got a lot more. And if, you know, at some point I'll post them somewhere. Again, I'm trying to stay off social media right now. It's, it's a shitstorm, and it's not going to be helpful for me to decompress, which is what I'm doing here and reevaluating um, everything that I've been doing. Okay, so having said all that, let's see. Let's talk a little bit more about Voltaire, okay? Because he also said something which is also very prescient for the current uh, time that we're living in. He said, he's the guy that said, and you've all heard this, I may not agree with what you say, but will defend to the death your right to say it. All right, well, that's pretty much disappeared in our society today. People are afraid to say anything if it's not, woke, I guess, or if it's not the conventional thing that's out there. And because of the way people get attacked for saying things that might be reasonable, but just a difference of opinion, not even allowed sometimes to have a difference of opinion anymore. And then it goes in my profession as well. I mean, people don't want to hear the things that, that midwives have to say or that I have to say when it comes to home birth or breech birth. Um, but we really should remember that that is important. This is not an American thing. This came from, you know, France in the 1700s, I guess the 1700s. That I may not believe in, I may not believe in what you say, but I'll fight the death to the death for your right to say it. It's very important. He believed social progress could be achieved through reason and that no authority, whether religious, political, or otherwise, should be immune to challenge by reason. I've always been, the reason and logic are how I've sort of run my life. I don't know where that came from. I don't know if it came from my mom, who was a school teacher and extremely bright 
uh, or my father who was the most patient, uh, simply loving man that I that I think I've ever known. So I don't know, but I look at I look at things. I look at like the crazy things that go on just in our daily lives right now. And I'm not going to get into too much detail, but just when I, I think I talked at the last episode, I talked about how the crazy things that I've heard before I tuned out were, could have, were, could have been written by the South Park guys. Like you can have two people in a boat, but not three people in a boat, or you can walk on wet sand, but not dry sand. Um, marijuana shops can be open, but uh, churches cannot, um, that sort of thing. So I, it, it's it's all crazy. This is not reason. We're not we're we're not living in a time of reason. We're not living in a time of logic, and we are certainly not living in a time of common sense. But according, but as far as birth goes, we need to remember these things because we have the right to say no. We have the right to have different of opinions from our physicians or the institutions that we that that birth or the organizations that tell us how we're supposed to do things. I mean, here in, here in uh, Utah, uh, birth centers are accredited, and they're accredited by something called the CABC, which is something similar, I guess, to the AABC. And, you know, they're not allowed to do breaches, and they're not allowed to do twins, and they're not allowed to do vacuums, and they're not allowed to do forceps. And if they do a VBAC, for every VBAC they do, they have to pay their insurance company an extra $1,500 as a surcharge just for the privilege of doing a normal vaginal delivery that happens to be a woman who had a previous C-section. This is not reason. This is not logic. No, I mean, it, it's, it's so everything. I don't know. Maybe my brain was, was built for a different time because I just don't understand anything. Everything that's going on in the world right now seems like the opposite should be true. Um, it's all stage one thinking. You've heard me talk about stage one thinking before. Um, not thinking downstream about the consequences of what, we're saying what we're doing. I watched a couple of great videos this week. Uh, one by a, a physician named Zach Bush, who was interviewed by a, a Del Bigtree. Many of you know Del Bigtree. He's the producer of the movie Vaxxed. Um, you should look into this video. It's really a good one. Uh, Bliss has also sent me some videos and, and they're related to the strife over George Floyd and they're, they're excellent videos too. And maybe I'll have Renee put links up to them. Um, we can, we can do better than what we're doing right now. That's for sure. Um, let's see, what else do I want to talk about before I get off to, um, a different topic? Uh, anyway, please, again, send your questions if you, if you have the opportunity to do so. Um, just remember that vacations are really important. We all need them. We all need breaks. Those of us in the birth world, especially those of us that work solo, we work really hard. My friend Adrian works really hard. I, I've been here every, for 13 days and she's worked every single day. Long, long hours, sometimes having no sleep at all for two days. Um, she, you know, she recognizes that she needs help, but it's very hard sometimes to actually accept the fact that you need help and that, and, and we all need to make sure that we're looking to each other to find a way to uh, be kind to each other and help each other out, give each other breaks. Okay, so I did come here uh, with the mind of just having a vacation. I think many of you know that there's this lovely couple from Idaho that came down, and they have Dai Dai twins, and she's today 39 weeks and two days. I'm having this incredible run of twins going almost to 40 weeks. 
I'm hoping she goes. I'm expecting her to hopefully go this weekend. But that's sort of also serendipitous that I just happened to be in Utah and she happened to live in Idaho about three and a half hours away, not having anybody there who's willing to deliver her vertex, vertex twins vaginally. No one would guarantee that they would do that. So, I mean, this is embarrassing for my profession. And uh, so she and her husband have decided to drive down here and, and here we sit and um, we wait. And they have a, they've rented an Airbnb and they're not allowed to go to the birth center because they have twins. It would be really nice to deliver them at the birth center. But they've got a great Airbnb and that's where we'll have babies. And hopefully next week I'll have a um, update for you and some pictures to show you of Gabrielle's twins. It'd be very exciting. Um, let's see. Does anybody, can anybody tell me, again, I've been out of it for a little bit. What is the policy now at most hospitals? Are we still on a lockdown phase? Are doulas still not being allowed in? Uh, do husbands still have to leave? I mean, again, these things that are, 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 are silly and we know that they're silly because we've seen, even though we're seeing some rises in cases in certain areas of the country, we're not seeing this horrible spike from the, we had the, two, three weeks ago, we had the lockdown rallies. And then, of course, last week, we've had, we had the protests and the rioting and the, and the lack of social distancing and all that. And, and it's pretty clear that a lot of the precautions that we're putting in place probably have no place in things anymore. But I, I see that institutions are still very slow to change. I, being a geek, went to the CDC website this morning. I found it to be very confusing. I couldn't really find their latest update. I think they, they have an update later today and then they'll post it. But, you know, there's still an extra double, double precautions and then, you know, reading their travel restrictions or travel guidelines. It's, it's, it's all still very, very um, invasive. Uh, doesn't seem to fit with what's actually going on in the world. People were out on Memorial Day, which is what, more than two weeks ago? Well, about two weeks ago now, this weekend crazy saying the news was going all crazy about people gathering without social distancing, without masks and saying how selfish they were. And yet we're not really seeing an increase because I think this thing is waning. I think the weather changes. I, I, there's lots of reasons for it. people's immune system. This video for with Zach Bush, who I consider a fellow traveler, um, brilliant guy. You, you have to watch it. Um, it's, uh, you, you'll find it on Dell Bigtree's site. Again, I really, really encourage you. It's an hour and 22 minutes long, so it's not one of these easy things to watch that all of us like, something that's maybe eight minutes long, we can handle that, but something that's 30 minutes long or 60 minutes long, or my, <laughs> our podcast, which used to be 35 or 40 minutes and now an hour long. We hope that that's, that we don't lose listeners because of that, because it does, nobody has that time to sit. So I guess listening in the car is probably the best choice. Um, I've been listening to books on tape in my car. I've been listening to podcasts and a, a little bit of radio, but a lot of music. Again, trying to stay away from news. It's been great. Um, so if uh, I was talking to the midwife that, that works, uh, the CNN that works up in Logan. Well, she works, she's from Logan. She works down here. Um, and she told me that, that um, now the hospitals have allowed certified doulas to be in and with the mother as well as the husband so that they can have the husband and a certified doula. But the obvious question to my logical reasoning mind is, does a certified doula carry less COVID virus than your sister? 
or your mother? And why is it that they can have a certified doula, okay, but not just a non-certified sister who loves you and wants to support you or a mother who wants to support you? Uh, you know, I don't understand where they, it's the same sort of logic that says you can have two people in a boat, but not three, or you can have play singles tennis, but not doubles tennis. It makes no sense. You can buy marijuana, but you can't buy paint. I, I, I you know, if, if Voltaire were alive right now in, in his age of reason, he would be pulling his hair out. And he had long hair, by the way, unless it's a wig, but it looked like it was pretty long hair to me. Um, okay, so I've got other stuff here. Um, I, got a, I got a letter uh, I want to talk a little bit about. Um, it's from Lana. and She says, uh, hi, Dr. Stu. Thanks so much for answering my question back in March on your podcast. I really appreciate it. Hope all is safe with you and well with you. It is, Lana. We're doing great. I'm particularly great. As I said, I've been exercising every day. I think I've hopefully lost some weight. Uh, I'm sunburned beyond belief. It, it, I, my face is darkened because of the stupid shades behind me. But nonetheless, by the way, I want to thank Adrian for use of her kitchen instead of Bliss's kitchen today. But nonetheless, I do feel great. Her question is, can you tell me why acute chorioamnionitis and funicitis happens and how it can be prevented in pregnancy? Okay, so this is an extremely broad topic. And I think, but an interesting one, because I actually prepped for this as well, because my feeling about the two is that they're, they're way overcalled. The pathologic diagnosis is what chorioamnionitis is or funicitis is. It doesn't necessarily mean in the clinical, same thing as the clinical diagnosis, which is where the mother has fever and mother maybe have tachycardia, the baby may have tachycardia, the, there may be some foul-smelling amniotic fluid, that sort of thing. But the diagnosis of chorioamnionitis is technically a pathologic diagnosis, is what you're talking about. And it is an inflammatory response by the mother of an infiltration of neutrophils and other things, um, which is generally assumed to be a cause from infection, but isn't always caused by infection. And I, I can know that for a fact because I've seen the diagnosis many times on a placenta on a woman from cesarean section before labor, elective scheduled cesarean section, and the path report will come back acute and chronic chorioamnionitis. So it isn't necessarily an indication of a clinical problem. So using placental pathology sometimes it can be very misleading. What I learned also is that funicitis is a, is a fetal response. So funicitis is not caused by the mother. The funicitis is caused by the fetus. Let me read a little bit of what it says here. While acute chorioamnionitis is evidence of a maternal host response, funicitis and chorionic vasculitis represent fetal inflammatory responses. Intraamniotic infection has been generally considered to be the cause of acute histologic chorioamnionitis and funicitis. However, recent evidence indicates that sterile intraamniotic inflammation, not infection, which occurs in the absence of demonstrable microorganisms, can be induced by, quote, danger signals, unquote, and is frequently associated with these lesions. I'm not exactly sure what they mean by danger signals, um, but maybe extreme prematurity is certainly one because it's seen the highest rate of, of findings of chorioamnitis and funicitis on pathology is seen in fetuses between 22 and 26 weeks. 
much higher than seen later in pregnancy, even in, at term. So it's not necessarily related to a infection as it might be to an inflammatory process that leads to preterm labor and that whole thing that's going on. Um, so I'm not exactly sure, Lana, what you're asking as far as how you can prevent it in pregnancy. Um, you can prevent infection in pregnancy, I guess, by fewer vaginal exams, by not rupturing membranes too early, that sort of thing, by judicious use of antibiotics if necessary. But as far as it being a pathologic diagnosis or an inflammatory diagnosis, not something you're going to give anti-inflammatories for or steroids to, to prevent a pathologic diagnosis. It's important to just remember that that doesn't necessarily mean there's anything wrong. Um, that's what's nice about home birthing is we don't send placentas to pathology, whereas in the hospital, they send every placenta to pathology. The question is, why do they do that? All right, I'm going to check a couple more messages here. Uh, hi, Alicia. Hi, Kelly. Jennifer. Uh, thanks for saying that, Jennifer. Doulas are not allowed in most hospitals. No support persons allowed in triage. Where, Jennifer, where are you from? Uh, Miranda says Dallas is starting to open up for doulas, but she's not sure about Florida. Right. So um, the, the whole thing with this choreoaminous, it's really nice not to send placentas to pathology because when placentas are sent to pathology, they're going to come back showing some often acute or chronic choreoamnionitis. And then the, it, the, some doctor is going to say something stupid like, look, we got the baby out in time. There was an infection. Not necessarily so, not, not at all. And I plus, you know, the, the mandate is to send them to pathology. Why is that? Not because placental pathology is necessary on any baby that's completely normal or any baby that's perfectly healthy or any baby. You don't get a lot from even a baby that's growth restricted or or um, sick in other ways. But it's sent to pathology for the same reason all these things are sent to pathology for. You know what the answer is? They can bill for it. Gets me back to my whole thing about the system <laughs> and how how everything, you know, we talked about how everything's backwards in life these days. It's also it's always been backwards in the, in the healthcare system as far as the incentives for why we do certain things a certain way. You know, why does a maternal fetal medicine doctor tell a client that, you know, um, I think your baby is growth restricted at 20 weeks. We need to have you come back and then we need to have you come back and then we need to have you come back. And of course, the baby's perfectly fine. The baby's like Alicia's story was similar to that. She had a baby that we thought was small because she was measuring small, but the baby ended up weighing seven and a half or more pounds and was never a problem. And we see this time and time again. The system rewards over-testing. It rewards promote, promoting anxiety because then people are acquiescing to over-testing, um, that sort of thing. On a side note, I should mention that... Uh, that Bliss and I had a client that ended up having an abnormal uh, NIPT test. Um, and the results were possibly due to a mosaic, possibly due to mosaicism in the placenta. And we did an ultrasound on her at about 11 weeks. The baby did look relatively normal. I think I might have mentioned this last week with, or last time with Bliss. And uh, it turns out we did. They, she waited a few weeks, got an amniocentesis, and the baby has some major... Uh, deletions and chromosomal problems. Um, so it's a good, that's a plus for the NIPT. It did pick up something that will uh, be useful information for this family. Uh, 
And I don't think she was 35. So I think, again, people say, well, why are we doing this testing over 35? Well, this is one of those examples where on a rare occasion, this would have probably been missed on an early ultrasound. And it's probably a lethal anomaly and it would have been missed. And then it would have been problems further down the road. So everything I say isn't always true, <laughs> but I do believe that the way we, we do, but I'm, but I'm comfortable enough to admit it. Unlike some of the uh, epidemiologists and professors you see on TV who are so certain they're right. And every time they're wrong, they never admit they're wrong. They just go on and say that, uh, you know, they predict, make new predictions and then they change from masks are good. Masks are bad. You've heard the whole thing. You know, you don't see those daily press briefings anymore. I think it's great that we don't have them anymore because um, epidemiologists, I probably said this on a previous podcast because these things just run through my head, but epidemiologists are no smarter or wiser than, than truck drivers or the guy that mows your lawn um, in, when it comes to wisdom. They aren't. They know their specialty, but their specialty... Does, is is a, is like weather, being a weatherman. It's it's prediction. If they're wrong, they're wrong. But if in these cases, if they're wrong, the consequences are unbelievably dire to what's happened to to uh, the economy in our country. And I think things are opening up in certain places. Like here, you can go to. I'm in Utah now. There's been a little spike in um, places like Park City, but I believe that that makes sense because I think people from big blue states like California, New York, who might have second homes in Park City. I've gotten the hell out of their state and they're coming to Park City. And so there's a spike, but there isn't a spike in deaths. Um, there's been very few deaths in the state of Utah. So people shouldn't be as nervous, but they still are, are, are because they're worried if I get the disease, will I lose my, will I have to shut down my business. What will happen? It, 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 again, it would be like, the, I think it would be like the flu. You stay home for a couple of days. Um, and you wear a mask when you go back to work, but that sort of thing. But the, uh, the, the craziness needs to really, really needs to stop. Um, so there are restaurants open here. Uh, I did go into a bar and sat at, the, at a bar and had a beer up in Huntsville, Utah, which was great. It's apparently the oldest bar, west, the oldest saloon west of the Mississippi that's still open. That's what they brag about. And, uh, the bartender was very funny. She had a name tag on that said newbie on it because her name's Melissa, but but because she was a new person there, she had to wear a name tag that said newbie. Now, these are the kind of things, these are fun things that, that nobody gets offended. We, uh, people get offended, I think, too easily sometimes. And, and I've enjoyed being in these smaller towns and talking to the people here. Alicia says, again, we can never know the truth of these numbers. Yeah. Yeah, I was confused completely by the CDC's website today. It was very confusing. Um, Florida's restricting tri-state. I guess that means like what? New York, New Jersey, and whatever the other one is. Uh, from coming 14 days self-isolation, but we're very open here. Yeah, I wonder what other countries are doing. I think they're still shut down as far as foreign travelers go. Right, You know, right now, Bliss and I were supposed to be in the, we would be in the Galapagos Islands right now if if, uh, if uh, COVID hadn't hit. That's the reason that I'm off this month is because we took the month off. And Bliss got to travel and she went up to Northern California to visit some of her family. And that was, she said, very, very uh, good for her. And then my student is somewhere up in Northern California enjoying herself as well. 
So we're all getting an advantage of, we're taking advantage of the month that we should have been in Ecuador. And we're at least we're not just sitting around on our sofa watching Netflix. By the way, I still am watching Netflix. I'm, I'm watching, I had to say this, but I'm watching a really lousy, poorly filmed, poorly sound edited crime series from Iceland. But I'm such a sucker. Once I get into these things, as bad as the, the cinematography is, as bad as the sound is, I'm stuck watching it. So, you know, I'm a sucker for British crime dramas and sort of run out of them. So I, I watched one from Wales and I watched one from, um, now I'm watching one from Iceland. So again, suggestions for uh, crime dramas, great. Uh, Alicia also adds, unfortunately, hospitals are paying families to say their loved ones have died from COVID when they have not. What? Really, Alicia? Families are being paid to lie. Wow. Well, I guess, why should I be surprised? I mean, that just, that, but, I mean, that's discoverable, isn't it? I mean, unless they're signing non-disclosure agreements, which, of course, hospitals may say, here, we'll give you some money. You sign this between you and me. But, I, you know, are they doing that because they can get more money for COVID? Or are they doing that because they just want to increase the number of COVID? Why would they do that? It doesn't make any sense to me. It really doesn't. I, other the money issue makes sense to me. Uh, okay, so I think we talked about... Funicitis, by the way, if you see funicitis, that's a fetal response. If you see chorioamnonitis, that's a maternal response. And it doesn't necessarily mean infection. The true infections, the true injury infections, you're going to see the, the four things that I mentioned earlier. Generally, maternal fever, maternal tachycardia, fetal tachycardia, and often foul-smelling amniotic fluid. Um, so for us in the home birth, we don't have to worry about it too much because we're not sending our placentas to pathology. We're actually cooking them instead. <laughs> okay. Um, so we also talked about each time we were going to be here, we were going to do a chapter from my book. Unfortunately, I didn't bring my book with me um, to Utah. I left all that stuff behind, although I have my birth stuff in the back of the car because you never know when there might be a birth at the side of the road or the twins that were coming down from Idaho. Uh, but Today's topic is uh, Bliss was kind enough to send me a picture of my book. It looks orange and yellow, so it must be because my, my book is getting really old. But um, it's about macrosomia. So if you'll bear with me, let's see what I wrote about macrosomia in 2004. So we're talking 16 years ago. It says, the word literally means big body in Latin. If your abdominal measurement is extremely big in the third trimester, you may be diagnosed as having a macrosomic baby. Usually the condition will also be evaluated by ultrasound, although some studies have shown that this method is no more accurate than an estimate made by the hands of a good clinician. I would have to qualify that and say there are very few good clinicians anymore other than midwives who use their hands. And the midwives that I know when I compare my ultrasound findings to their hands and then we, the baby's born shortly thereafter, I find that they're ex extremely accurate. And when they're not accurate, um, they're no less not accurate than ultrasound is. Uncontrolled gestational diabetes often leads to large babies, you know, called macrosomia, but sometimes it just happens when absolutely nothing is wrong. 
The biggest problem with a macrosomic baby is the increased likelihood of a disproportion between the baby and your pelvis, leading to higher cesarean section rates. There is also the small but real possibility of an injury to your baby at birth. It's probably, it's called, I'm sure I'm talking about shoulder dystocia. If your practitioner suspects you have a big baby, she or she may recommend an early induction to increase your chance of having a vaginal delivery. When the suspected weight is greater than 4,500 grams, <clears throat> about 9 pounds, 14 ounces, it is not uncommon for a cesarean to be recommended. Ultimately, the choice will be yours after you consider all the information available. Okay, so a lot of that isn't what I would say today. Um, first of all, I wouldn't say that that um, a woman should be should accept the fact that that she should not be given a trial of labor. Um, I, I do believe that it's unlikely that women will grow babies inside of them that won't fit out. I do believe the the macrosomia thing is way overcalled. Ultrasound is way too. Um, what do you call it? Um, inaccurate, I guess would be the best word. Um, how many times have all of us listening today heard the story of someone whose baby was told they were macrosomic, they ended up having a scheduled C-section, the baby weighed seven and a half pounds. Um, happens all the time. I think I sold the story of last week where my colleague um, got yelled at by my, one of my old colleagues who still works in the hospital got yelled at by, um, Another doctor, because she had a woman that needed to be uh, have a C-section for labor problems, and the other doctor's scheduled C-section for macrosomia was going to have to be postponed another hour. And she, the woman, the woman physician, was outraged because her her mother had an eight and a half pound baby, and she needed to have this C-section right away. And I don't even think I think in, in her rage, I don't think that she realized how stupid she sounded and how she's undermining her own case. And if this ever goes to peer review because she's complaining about my associate bumping her and then wanting to do a, you know, she apparently had some sort of skin tag or something down below after the C-section, the extra 20 minutes to fix something down in the vulvar area. And this what got the other doctor irate. She's making a big stink and she's going to bring her up before the committee. And, and all I would do is if I were my colleague is say, listen, there, there's no there's no debate here. The, the C-section that this other doctor wanted to do was completely unnecessary. And why aren't we, we peer-reviewing her for that? So nonetheless, um, macrosomia is way overcalled. Uh, and in the midwifery model of care, what I've seen is very little macrosomia because I think we spend a lot of time paying attention to diet, nutrition, stress reduction, health, all the other things that can cause a baby to be big. But even if a baby is big, I mean, women can drop out amazingly large babies um, and they deserve to have a trial of labor and you need to be prepared for shoulder dystocia. But shoulder dystocias are not predictable and they happen to normal sized babies as well. So it's just something that you can be prepared for and you give a woman uh, true informed consent. Some women may choose to have a C-section, some women will not. Depends on their own life experiences. So, uh, so that's uh, that's today's chapter. Next next week it's going to be multiple gestations, twins, and triplets. So we'll talk about that next week, um, and I'll probably have another twin story to tell you at that at that at that time. All right. So what else do I have? I have um, comment from Stacy last week. She said, "Please write another book." 
Okay, so I am going to write another paper first. I might have mentioned it last week. I'm going to, I need to bug, I got to write myself a note right now to, she has not responded. Rixa, she's in lockdown somewhere in France. Maybe she's reading Voltaire for all I know. But um, she is uh, my co-author and she was going to send me a uh, Excel spreadsheet so we can start to collate our data on um, twins because I really like to publish a paper on twins as many of you have heard me say before when somebody says that you know doing twins vaginally is dangerous and certainly doing it at home is contraindicated um, they're saying that because that's their opinion and again just as we said at the beginning of the podcast their right to their opinion is something I would defend their right to say it even if they're completely wrong because they are completely wrong because there are so many articles out there supporting twin birth and there are no articles out there about home twin birth. None. Zero. Zilch. There's some retrospective birth center da- birth certificate data, which you've heard me talk about many times. is completely flawed because with birth certificate data, you, you, you know, you only have what's got, what's recorded by whoever recorded it. And the, and the birth certificates don't give enough detail to tell you whether it was a planned or unplanned twin delivery, whether it was a diagnosed or undiagnosed twin delivery, what was the skill of the person, what were the positions of the babies. You know nothing. You only know essentially like mortality or APGAR scores, some stuff like that. And so there are no studies to say it's bad. So people just empirically go to where their brain takes them, which is in their own world or their own projection of experience, is to say that it's dangerous. But these are the same people feel that it's dangerous in the hospital and that they don't do it in the hospital. Now, there are some good people who do it in the hospital who would never do it at home. I get that. But for, and they can have their opinion, but they can't say that it's science or it's fact. And there's a lot of relying on science these days that we shouldn't be doing because science has now been corrupted by politics and by ideology. And when once you lose that, then I don't know how you believe anything that you read or hear anymore. Somebody said earlier about the CDC. It's so true. There's so few things that you can that you can read. I mean, I think I made a comment last week or two weeks ago when I did it that that one of my midwife colleagues wants to follow the CDC guidelines for masks and hand washing and wiping things down in the in our office setting, which I. I understand, right? But she, they, they will absolutely not follow the CDC guidelines when it comes to things like vaccines, because she doesn't believe the CDC is honest about vaccines. When the CD, when the when the CDC says things like measles, mumps, rubella does not cause autism, and in her own life experience, she knows clients whose babies have been altered from the the day after they got their measles, mumps, rubella vaccine. You can't, you don't, she doesn't believe that. And I don't believe that. And I don't think any of you believe that. And yet she's willing to cherry pick the data that she chooses to believe. So then she's becoming just like the people that I, you know, rant about regarding the ones who run hospitals, who, who will say, well, you know, um, breach, breach delivery, you know, is not, it's not unsafe, but this procedure is safe because we're going to choose to believe this ACOG recommendation, but we're going to ignore this ACOG recommendation. You don't, you know, you don't get to do that. You don't get to do that and claim 
the moral high ground or the scientific high ground. Um, let's see. Hello, Bree. Okay. So I'm just saying that I'll get to your question in a sec. Um, so, well, anyway, that mean I, I just had a Joe Biden moment there. Sorry, I forgot. I forgot where, where I, what I was talking about. But anyway, so I'm going to look at. I get distracted by when I see a question. So let's go to a question um, from Bree. Bree, where are you from? Hello, Doctor Stu. Quick question. I had the 24 week loss from incompetent cervix. That's another thing too. We're going to try to change the name of that because it just makes your cervix sound so bad, all right? But I, but I know what it means. Incompetent cervix is, is the medical term. And then a successful delivery with the cerclage. Congratulations, by the way. However, I seem to stall at four centimeters for a long time and Pitocin is always needed. I'm currently pregnant again and I'm choosing to have, to not have a cerclage, to no have a cerclage. Why do you think that <clears throat> I'm choosing why do you think you stall out at four centimeters for a long time? It, I, I don't have an answer for you specifically, Bree. Uh, a lot of women do. And that was the whole issue about ACOG finally deciding to change active labor. You know, they have to give definitions to things. I totally get that. But they changed it from four centimeters to six centimeters. So because people, a lot of people used to stall out at four centimeters and then they get C-sections because they stalled out at four centimeters. Um, I don't think it's because of scarring from your cerclage because uh, if you, your cerclage keeps your cervix relatively tight. <clears throat> if you had scarring from it, it probably would be scarred at one or two centimeters, and then eventually the scar tissue would tear or break, and then you dilate perfectly. So um, <clears throat> the question about cerclage is a good question because, because a lot of people think that they're unnecessary, that, that they don't prevent uh, loss. And there are other, there's another school of thought that think they do. And, and both... Both of them, I've, I've think, have uh, validity. Um, if you're not going to have a cerclage this time, you definitely need to consider having your cervix observed, um, probably by ultrasound more than vaginal exam, and to be sure that the cervical length is persists and that you don't have anything called funneling where you have uh, the membranes beginning to push down into the interior os of the cervix and changes. Because if you do, now, if you... If you don't have any changes by 24 weeks, you're probably going to be fine. And the 24-week loss, as sad and as tragic as that was, may have been very much a fluke. It's hard to know. You may have ended up having funicitis, coincidentally, or, or chorioamnionitis from an inflammatory process, not from anything else that caused this whole um, cervical softening, cer cervical labor, or, or labor to, to take place. It's hard to know, but you went to term with your second pregnancy. I'm assuming this is your third. So <clears throat> just keep an eye on your cervix. Have your, have your practitioner keep an eye on it. And if it begins to change and you're already 20, 22 weeks, then, then the feeling is that a cerclage isn't going to help at that point, but bed rest and <clears throat> maybe taking certain medications. Some people feel injectable progesterone helps. Other people feel it has no validity. There's a paper out recently that said it doesn't do any good that or it doesn't do any much any better good than than uh, bed rest alone. Um, whatever your doctor, go, you know, you go with what your practitioner says. Um, Miranda says, I think doctors have become very risk averse. Well, that's a given, Miranda. That's absolutely true. By the way, thank you for being one of my loyal listeners. And what they consider risky differs. They want to control risks. They do want to control risks. Unfortunately, by controlling risk, you create risk. Um, 
And then William, uh, who, uh, Miranda, who are William Thompson and Brian Hooker? I'd like to know who those people are. You mentioned, you mentioned that. Um, whoops, whoops. Didn't mean to do that. Uh, there we go. Okay. Um, so, listen, I'm, I'm about out of stuff. Uh, oh, we talked about writing a book. Um, once I get this paper done, and I think I eventually move to Utah and keep a presence in Los Angeles, I'm going to, I, I, I'm, I'm not going to be able to give it up because I have a loyal following there. I love what I do in Los Angeles. I just don't want to be on call every night anymore. And all my kids live in Los Angeles or Southern Cal. My daughter lives in San Diego. So, you know, until I can lure them away from there, which I don't think is ever going to happen, um, I will still be coming back to Los Angeles and doing a lot of stuff. And once teaching opens up again, I look forward to doing live small groups, teaching breach, um, that sort of thing. And, and again, and getting invited hopefully back to Ecuador and other places in the world. Israel, we were, I was supposed to potentially go to Israel. And then there were, I was going to also be going to Buffalo, New York. And I think Texas this year, a couple of places in Texas, Dallas and maybe Austin. Uh, or yeah, someplace like that. And um, really looking forward to this all opening up and life getting back to normal and people going on family vacations and ski trips. Although being here in Utah, you don't see the anxiety and the fear. I mean, I've seen families with their kids and campers and they're getting out and they're hiking and, and uh, everybody they're playing and they're, and it's, it just seems certain parts Southern, Southern Utah had no issues with it at all. I didn't see anyone wearing a mask anywhere in Southern Utah. The parks were open. Camping wasn't open yet, which I don't understand that either. I mean, why can you be hiking with a bunch of people through Zion, but you can't camp overnight? There's so much illogic in the whole process that, that it, I will take somebody much smarter than me uh, to figure out why these people, I would love to be, a, you know, there are no more investigative reporters. There's a few. There's a few guys like John Solomon is one. Um, uh, you know, these are people that do investigative reporting where the money, there isn't money in it anymore. They don't get enough clicks to, to pay for it. So the newspapers have given up on it. The television never did it. But to find out where they came up with the, the guidelines about not buying paint, but buying marijuana or, you know, you can, you can go hiking in the thing, but you can't sleep in the park overnight. I mean, why? Especially at this point. In that we're, you know, we're almost to summer. You know, we're coming up and the sun's going down after 9 p.m. here in Utah. I'm sure it's later in some parts of the country and earlier in other parts of the country. But it's just, it's just gorgeous. We have these really long, beautiful days. Um, people are out. People are enjoying themselves. I hope that's going on in Los Angeles. And I hope that the politicians there are lightening up and understanding the trauma. I got a, a message from my Pilates instructor Finally, finally, uh, that next week she apparently gets to open up. And this is, a, I've, I've mentioned this before, this is a Pilates instructor who has a private little suite where she sees one client at a time with one reformer in the little room. And she was not allowed to practice or trade and make any money for the last two and a half months. Um, so Miranda says uh, that William Thompson, Brian Hooker are the whistleblowers from the CDC. Uh, right, that's true. Um, right. And then, and their lives are probably ruined <laughs> too bad, but, 
but I, yeah, that's well, that you know, that's what Del Bigtree did, uh, and guys like um, Paul, Paul Thomas, and my friend Jennifer Margulis. Um, they're exposing these sorts of things, and they're they're suffering, and they're they're they're, they're the brave people who who um, who bear the Twitter mob and the social beatdown and the um, the the shadow banning or the outright deletion of their accounts from Twitter or their videos from YouTube. But they, you know, they can't. We I, I'm looking. For, I'm I'm hearing from other sources that there may be new platforms coming out that will post stuff that one whoever runs these other big tech companies they don't like it they they delete it they call it misinformation and under that guise they can get rid of all this information even the stuff that i talk about um no it's not liked by the major medical community i'm not that controversial right now because you know i don't have a big platform and i'm trying to just do my my thing and do my job uh, one person at a time and then when i publish a paper then i get attacked so i'm looking forward to that next spring when paper comes out all right so we're we're running about uh, almost out of time um i think um i think that's it so again i'll go back to my t-shirt that says lose reception gain perspective uh, okay let me see if I can do that. There we go. Lose reception, gain perspective. And again, remember that the perfect is the enemy of the good. So enjoy the little things that you have and don't always be seeking something that's perfect. All right. And if you and, and show gratitude, you know, we tend to write a letter of complaint when somebody does something wrong or we tend to make a, a nasty Facebook, uh, not a Facebook, well, a Facebook or a you know, a Yelp post or a, a review when somebody, you know, and, and you can tell when somebody's just angry and they're venting because somebody has, you know, 25 star reviews and one one star review. But, you know, when somebody does something nice, it's really nice to send them a letter. I, 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 I'm lucky. I get testimonials and I get little notes from people all, all week long that tell me that, that they're grateful for some of the, the common sense and logic and reason that I bring. And um, it's so easy. This is just the way my, my brain works. Uh, and it's very frustrating for me to see how so many people out there in the, in the public eye don't think with logic and common sense and reason anymore. So here's to the age of reason returning and to people being nice to each other. And until next time, hi, Mary. And until next time, um, this has been, again, my non-fireside chat, um, number seven of Dr. Stu's podcast. Again, you can find me at birthinginstincts.com. You can find Bliss at birthingbliss.com. Bliss, I miss you terribly. It's not easy to talk for an hour without my trusty sidekick uh, giving me her little, her little laughs and, and pieces of wisdom, keeping me in tow. Uh, I, hope, I hope you're well. Uh, I hope all of you who are listening are well. Uh, and spread the word. I will be back uh, next week. Hopefully, I'll still be in Utah or I may be on the road home. But we'll figure out a way to, to do it. And we appreciate that, that you listen to us. We know that an hour of your time is very valuable. And there's so many things on the uh, Internet and in the world to do and actually get out and do life instead of being on the Internet. 
uh, that you give us an hour a week, we're really thrilled. So again, thanks very much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye.